And she was like, why don't you spend time every night literally meditating on the fact that your father did the best that he could with the tools that he had? And I did that. You know, when I went to bed, I closed my eyes and thought about how deep of a struggle it must have been for him and how much he gave me despite that emotional handicap. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Season 2 of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is dedicated in loving memory of Yaakov Zev ben Rabmeir Sheyichya on his 20th yurtzeit, Yud Zayin Adar. In the words of his niece, my uncle Yankel had a love of learning and a love of joy, and he infused one with the other. May the deep personal growth that comes from this podcast be an aliyah for his neshama, and may we be reunited with the coming of Mashiach now. Amen, and thank you for making today's episode happen. If you would like to sponsor an episode or become a paying subscriber of the podcast on Patreon, please visit the link in the show notes, patreon.com slash humanandholy, or email us at humanandholy at gmail.com. Today's episode is so practical. We take a deep dive into our judgments of others and explore how we can bring ourselves to a place where we not only judge others less, but actually come to respect them for the very things that bothered us about them. Mm, Not easy. Rachel Holtzkenner shares the wisdom of chapter 30 of Tanya, which addresses the human tendency to judge head-on and gives us some really clear practical tips on how to address it in our lives. Rachel shares her own personal experience as well and gives us the tools to change the way we see and interact with others. My name is Rachel Holtzkenner. I live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I have four beautiful children, Kenai Nahara, and my husband and I are lucky enough to be shluchim here in Fort Lauderdale. And our shluchus is directed and catered to young professionals. So singles in their 20s and 30s, all of our programs are catered towards young professionals. And I'm also a high school teacher, which is something that I very much enjoy. Okay, nice. I am so excited to have you here today, and I'm so excited about your topic. Today, we're going to speak about how to prevent ourselves from judging people. And I feel like this is a topic that a lot of people know intellectually, a concept that everyone wants to incorporate into their lives but can often just remain as a principle, but not necessarily as a lived experience. Because like I think you're going to share today, it's something that you really have to do internally in order to behave that way. It's not like just a switch you can turn on and off because it's like an internal headspace. So if you could start just by sharing a little bit with us about what you have learned in Torah or Hasidus about how we see other people and what it means to not judge another. Sure. So like you said, Tanya, it's hard not to speak Lashon Hara, but it's a lot harder not to judge people in your head. And that's really what Hasidus is encouraging us to work on. So this is a very big focus in my mind 
this part of Hasidus, part of Tanya, talking about pushing back on thoughts of judging other people. And it's so relevant because I always hear people say, I hate being judged. And living in a from community is has its incredible blessings. But one thing that's really painful for people is feeling like they're being judged by others, whether it's accurate or in their mind. It's such a bad feeling, whether you feel like you're being judged by the community or individuals. And long before it became popular to set aside judgment and be, so to speak, open-minded, Chassidus encouraged us to practice this incredible exercise on pushing back on thoughts of judgment. In fact, I just had this insight today in, in thinking about our podcast that the Tanya talks a lot about machshavazoras and how to combat them. And generally, Tanya advises us to just keep pushing them away, pushing them away. And each time we push them away, incredible to success. And Al-Jarb even goes as far as saying, don't, don't try doing halos hamidois, which is like elevating yourself or trying to detangle the thought and find the kernel of good. He says, it's foolish. Maybe in the right time, maybe a Rebbe could do it. I'm adding maybe a mashpia or a therapist could help. But at the moment, don't try and do it yourself. Just push it away. But yet when it comes to this machshavazara, this very distracting thought of being judgmental towards another person, the Alter Rebbe unpacks it for us in such a detailed way, almost saying like, this type of thought, yes, I give you permission mm. to push back, unravel it, be super aware, and then push back on it because you could do it, and maybe because it's so important. And this is something that I, I really want for myself, because I have so many judgmental thoughts that pop up in my mind all the time, critical thoughts. And I have to use these tools literally every single day. Oh, I love that. It's, I think, hard as a from Jew who has a certain set of absolute moral standards. I think it makes it hard in a sense not to judge because it's not like I'm ambivalent, you know, I don't know. Is, mm. is vaccination good or bad? I don't know. Who knows? Who can say with certainty? But we can say with certainty that there is a correct moral path, incorrect, and that could lend itself so easily to pointing a finger at another person and judging them. And yet, Chassidus says, I want you to hold both things very, very true to your heart. Having the sensibility to know what's right and wrong, and especially if you're a more analytical person, you also can kind of see through things to the kernel of truth or the kernel of what is not true. And at the same time, absolute lack of judgment. Oh, I love that. And you know, and sometimes it doesn't come from that. Sometimes judgment comes from just being a little bit arrogant. Sometimes it comes from insecurity. Sometimes it comes from a person who legitimately hurt you. There's so many reasons, but it makes it perhaps even harder when you're passionate about truth, so to speak. But there was a story mm. that I heard once that made such an impression on me, a story about the Mittler Rebbe, before he was Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe, uh, who was traveling to a place called Yanovich to visit his in-laws. That was where his wife was from. And there he met a former student of his, who was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe as well. And 
I heard two versions of the story. Either he said something to this Hasid about the fact that his davening wasn't up to par, or he didn't say anything, but this Hasid saw that he was looking at him in a little bit of a judgmental way. So this Hasid tells him, how can you compare yourself to me? Look at who you are. Your father conceived you with the holiest thoughts. You were born in this cocoon, this spiritual environment, and look what you do now. You sit and you learn and you teach. And look at me. My father was a simple person, and I was born, and I was left to kind of raise myself like a goat. And what do I do now? Every single morning before davening, I go around to collect my debts from local non-Jewish Russian people in my neighborhood, and I have to converse with them and speak to women as well, because they also need to like me in order to keep coming and patronizing my inn. And then, only then, I can come to daven. So how can you compare yourself to me? And the Mittal Rebbe was so moved by this comment. He went home and he, he was broken and he pushed to improve himself. This was already, as the Mittal Rebbe was, was a mashpia and a teacher in, in his father, the Alter Rebbe's yeshiva, his chidarim. And the conclusion of the story is that when this chassid who spoke this way to the Mittal Rebbe came to visit the Alter Rebbe, the next time the Alter Rebbe embraced him and said to him very lovingly, thank you for making my doivber a chassid. And that last line always caught me like, really, that's the definition of a chassid? Understanding where people are coming from and not holding yourself on a pedestal above them? even if you have very legitimate reason to believe that you are superior to them, that's a chassid? Because certainly the Mitzalarebbe had all the other qualities of being a chassid. That's really powerful. I wanted to share a little bit of what the Alter Rebbe speaks about in Perak Lamed of Tanya. The way I look at it, he describes three steps to pushing back on judgmental thoughts. I'm going to talk about two of them here briefly, and then I'll share some of how useful that's been in my personal life. The first thing the Alter Rebbe says is that there is the Maimar Chazal, that when you look at another person, you should feel low compared to them, not high, but low. And this teaching, the Alter Rebbe says, is very useful when a person suffers from a condition called timtum halev, which is like a blocked heart. You feel like you're not emotionally vibrant. But I believe it's also a very useful maimer chazal to take to heart when we're feeling judgmental towards others. So how do you look at another person and instead of feeling superior, feel equal or even inferior? So this, Alter Rebbe says, is by internalizing another Maimer Chazal, also from Perkeyevos, which is, Don't judge another person until you've reached their place. And of course, you'll never be in their place, but take into consideration their place. And the Alter Rebbe says that there's two types of places Conceptually, there is the circumstance and there's the internal environment of the person. Maybe you could say nature and nurture. And both things have contributed very much to where this person is right now and to their struggles and to the things that they're doing that makes you critical of them. But you know what? Don't judge them. Yes, their actions are not good, not for them, not for the world. 
but consider what are the factors, what are the influences that are feeding into this unfortunate self-destructive or destructive behavior for this person. And that itself is just a very simple practice. You have to get yourself in the habit of it, and I'm sure everybody does, but it literally opens your mind. Something as simple as being frustrated with a child. A simple thought like, but they are three. And three-year-olds don't have the skills and the tools to behave differently. And maybe this three-year-old especially. So my job is to try to educate the child and to create a certain structure in the family. But that sense of like, what is wrong with you? It's not true. There's really nothing wrong. Or like they say, children are not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And of course, this applies to everybody. Children, students, our spouses, our friends. Whenever I see somebody doing something that I am critical of, my first thought is, what is making it challenging for this person to behave in a way that would be better for them, for me, and for everybody around them? And it's only with that thought that I can start to help them if help is appropriate in that situation. Nice. I remember one time I had a student many years ago, a high school student, a ninth grader who was being super disruptive in my class. And I found it very frustrating. And after class, I went to the office and I privately told the administrator, can you please give me this student's mother's number? And my thought was, I'm going to call the mother and say, maybe we can make a meeting, talk about how to encourage your daughter to be more cooperative in class. And the administrator told me, well, you can't speak to the mother, you can speak to the father, because the mother is going through a severe depression. She hasn't come out of bed for months. And the father is trying to manage the children and work. Wow. And it was a 180, like I've never had, actually, I have had that happened many times, but I remember distinctly, you know, just wanting to bury myself, ashamed of all the critical feelings that I had had, because I didn't know, simply didn't know the circumstance. And I'm sure we've all had situations where like, oh, one piece of the puzzle brings it all together. But sometimes it's not as dramatic. And sometimes you feel like, no, I know all the pieces of the puzzle. It's my spouse. It's my best friend. It's my mom. It's my child. There's nothing else that I don't know. Mm. Not true. It's not true. Of course, there's a lot that you don't know. Of course. If this person is acting in a way that you feel rightly or wrongly, is not good for them or for you, that of course there's something that's making it challenging. Wow. It's a life-changing concept if you can really internalize that. Because like you said, even the people closest to you, that you think you know exactly what they're dealing with, you don't know how they're experiencing it. You don't know what they're dealing with inside. You really don't know. So don't judge them. Because even if you think you know everything and you could perfectly describe their place, you're still not standing there. So you don't know what the experience is like. Yeah. And sometimes it's helpful to probe a little bit. And given the assumption that there's, there must be something that's making it challenging for you, in some cases, it could be so useful to say, you know, I see you behaving this way. Can you explain to me why? And when that obviously not done in a sarcastic way, like, why would you behave this way? Why would you have said that to me? Why would you make such a decision? But 
you made this decision. Can you tell me why? Based on the assumption that there must have been something that you were thinking. And of course, people are not always aware of their thoughts and their triggers, and they can't always express it. But sometimes it's so useful to give them the chance. And just saying that can open up a whole new conversation because you're expressing, you're assuming positive intent, right? That's a very popular word now, but it's so true. And you're creating a safe zone. I know you would do better if you could. Can you explain to me what's going on for you? I like that you said that probe deeper because when you come closer, it's a lot harder to judge. I know that whenever you interact with a difficult person and then you even just have like one conversation with them where you just like see their humanity more or you're just talking to them honestly, even if you don't get to the heart of what they're experiencing, just moving in closer to someone I find also makes it a lot easier because you begin to recognize that they have an experience that is separate from me. They're not this caricature that I'm watching from afar, but they're actually like a multidimensional person with a life that I am not experiencing. I love the way you put that. So true. It's so much harder to say, you know, what's wrong with that person? They're not normal. They're so fill in the blank. So many words. They're so religious. They're so not religious. They're so new age. They're so old fashioned. They're so functional. They're so in the box. They're so dysfunctional. When you get closer, it's just impossible. I think the hardest time to get closer, like you're saying, is when I feel triggered, when I'm insulted, Right. you know, as a teacher, If I am feeling insulted, if this is triggering thoughts about myself, your behavior is saying something about me and who I am, it's making me feel inadequate, it's threatening me, then I don't have the serenity to be able to come to you and say, I see this happened. You seemed like you were upset. Can you tell me what was going on for you? Yeah, it's so true. Someone told me that the word Q-tip is a acronym for quit taking it personally. (laughs) And I think this helps a lot. There's a mean way of looking at it, which is, let's say somebody's late. So you're annoyed at them. And at the most basic level, you can say, you know, they must not respect me and that's why they came late. The next level up would be to say, okay, this person has a lot of time management skills to work on. And even though it's hard for me, to be with them, it's harder for them to be with themselves because this probably comes back to bite them all the time. It's just affecting me sometimes. That's also a little mean. A little bit nicer is to say this is a real struggle (laughs) that this is is a real struggle that the person has, clearly. That doesn't mean that I'm not entitled to boundaries, to have my own boundaries and to talk about it with them if it's appropriate. But it's a completely different conversation if it's coming with the sense that this person has a challenging time, let's say, with time management. Maybe it was a learned behavior. Maybe it's something internal. They're wiring their chemistry, but this is their makoimoi. Valdrapa then kicks it up another notch and says like this, you can flip it all around. Take your machshava zara of being judgmental, and if you sit with it, And if you're really truthful about it, you will actually end up respecting that person, almost being envious of them. 
Wow. How could you do this? Actually, just before I explain it, there's a beautiful insight from the Rebbe's father about this Parakintanya, where the Reb Reblevik says that the word veheve, that's the first word of the Maimar Chazal, veheve shval ruach, befnei kol adam, has two vavs. And Reblevik says that the letter vav is the letter of truth. The fact that it has, has two vavs is telling us that this piece of advice is emes la'amitoy. That's the Alter Rebbe's Lashen there. That's, his, that's the word that he uses. This meditation is very, very authentic. Mm. And you're not just trying to come up with some kind of excuse or rationalization for their behavior. This is the true way of measuring this other person, their struggles. So what is the most authentic way to look at it? That this person may be giving Hashem more nachas, more pleasure and satisfaction than I am. What do you mean? I see what they're doing. They're doing something that I think is not giving Hashem pleasure at all. And it's not giving me pleasure. So here's the logic. What does God value? Effort. What we do is very much a product of all of the positive influences in our life. Now, remember, this is a meditation for when you feel judgmental. There are other meditations that seemingly contradict this, but this is how we fight back and we kind of put ourselves in our place. Everything that I do that I think is correct, let me attribute that. Let me write it off to all of the advantages that I've had in my life. Now God set me up on this rung of the ladder and he's saying, okay, let's see the effort. And he set this other person up on their rung of the ladder because of their makoimoi, their influences, internal and external. Now, clearly, because of the mistakes that they're making, in my opinion, they were given a huge challenge. Obviously, if not, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't be doing this. So they were given a huge challenge. And I'm also assuming that there are times that they do push through. And sometimes I could even see that there are times that they push through. That experience of that person who's clearly struggling, the opportunity that they take when they push through their struggle and do do something that's beneficial for themselves and for the world must give Hashem so much pleasure. And then I look at myself and I say, is there a place in my life that I'm pushing myself as much as I'm assuming this person needs to push themselves? And many times I can notice does push themselves. I don't know. Mm. And that immediately turns it around. It's like the same logic inverted on its head. It's Dafka because I see this person is struggling that now I have a whole new respect for them based on the assumption or the knowledge that they do push through and accomplish something that for them and based on God's measuring stick, which is all about effort, is priceless and so valuable. And that is such an unbelievable meditation. Just a couple of examples. I get so frustrated when my kids are late to leave to school in the morning. And I'll be like, come on, get it. I, I, 
bothers me to no end when they, you know, lie in bed and don't get out, you know, and like, don't you understand? You have 20 minutes until we're leaving. And then, oh, I need to get this. And I forgot this. And it really gets under my skin. And recently I was thinking to myself, you know what? I want you to take a look at how hard it is for you to light Shabbos candles before the 18 minutes, right? (laughs) Before you start to dig your nails into them, I want, like, what do they say when you point a finger at somebody else? You're pointing three fingers back at yourself. So you're laying into them in a personal, aggravated, frustrated way for their lack of time management skills. Okay. Then I want you to think about how, what a struggle it is for you to have the appropriate time management when you light Shabbos candles. Oh, that's so transformational. I still try and encourage them to get out on time, but it's a different attitude. Yeah. Like they say, people in glass houses don't throw stones, right? Yeah. Nobody that's in a rehab center, a rehab program is going to be critical of another person who's in the rehab program. I mean, they may understand that the person is doing something wrong. They may want to help them, of course. This does not preclude helping another person. To the contrary, it helps. Right. Oh, it just totally changes the game because you come in with the assumption that you are better in some way or performing better in some way. And then you come out with the understanding that they might be doing a lot better than you are when it comes to actually like showing up in their lives and doing the hard work to accomplish whatever they need to accomplish, to handle whatever struggles they need to handle. Even in the example of your kids going to school, I'm thinking like, how many days do your kids get out on time and are ready on time? And how many days am I ready on time? Like how many Fridays, you know, am I really ready on time? So maybe they're actually doing a lot better than I am with time management. But like you said, even if you still are going to step in and help, it levels the playing field. Suddenly we're beside each other instead of me like speaking from my pedestal. I love the way you put that, Tanya. Speaking about standing beside each other as a shliach, I often think of this idea and I kind of think Mm. of it in two ways, a couple, a family that moves to a community and is enmeshing themselves and leading a group of people that are not yet Torah observant, it's very easy to play almost like a patronizing role. Like, I know so much, and you're looking up to me as the rabbi in Rebetzin. And in a sense that things that you would do in a religious community that would be no big deal, like certain family values or juggling, you know, a large family with with work or making, you know, a four-course Shabbos meal, like wouldn't be a big deal. But since it's a novelty in your community, you can feel like, wow, I really am something special. And it could breed a sense of arrogance. But again, wow. that's if you are not thinking emes amito if you're not thinking accurately and authentically. Because that's right. not authentic at all. What am I talking about? All of yeah. the opportunities that fed into me being who I am, that was all a gift from Hashem. And now Hashem wow. is waiting to see the next step that I'm going to take. The lack of education is due to no fault of their own. 
That was where, exactly where Hashem placed them on their ladder, their rung of the ladder, probably because they're stronger and they, and they have the wherewithal to grow from that place. So I can't take any credit for knowing more than a person who didn't go to a, a Jewish day school. That has nothing to do with me. My parents were supportive of me. My teachers, I had influences. Of course, we all have challenges, but going down this train of thought, this person was never shown. It's not only the education, it's the value of the Torah and of being a Jew and of the soul and of a mission-oriented life. And now they're putting aside their golf game to come to Shul on Shabbos? Incredible. How have I exerted that much effort, that much pushback, both socially, emotionally, intellectually in my life? This is the most humbling experience of all. To be surrounded by people that are swimming upstream, that are willing to embrace something that seemed foreign, willing to strip stereotypes. Where am I doing that in my life? So you see how it's a total 180. Yeah. Wow. The only thing is that sometimes that scenario that I just painted is almost easier than situations where you feel like, oh, no, but this person was gifted with education and resources. And look, you know, they're still acting like an idiot. Yeah. And especially if they hurt you. Super hard. I mentioned at the beginning that the Alter Rebbe brings up this idea as a cure for the condition called Timtum Halev which is, you know, apathy. And I don't know if I would fit in the classic criteria or definition of Tim Tamale, but I had an experience that I think is similar to this. Just to back up a little bit, one of the challenges that I experienced growing up was having a father who struggled and struggles till today very deeply with emotional and mental illness. And he is a wonderful, sincere person, a balchuva, and gave us so much. But of course, there is a lot of challenges that come from having a parent that struggles with mental illness. Things that I actually didn't even realize at the time growing up, you know, you just take what you have as, as being the norm. But looking back, seeing how it did and has impacted me. And a year or two ago, I mentioned to my mashpia that I felt like I am lacking something emotionally. Like I feel like there's a part of me that's emotionally shut down. I could stay in my head, but my heart, it's just hard to access things with my heart. And she said to me, You're holding on to resentment. You need to completely forgive anybody that hurt you growing up. And I said, I do. I'm not upset about it anymore. I've worked it through. And she was like, no, working it through is is different than, than really forgiving with a whole heart. And she was like, why don't you spend time every night literally meditating on the fact that your father did the best that he could with the tools that he had. Wow. And I did that. And, you know, when I went to bed, I closed my eyes and thought about how deep of a struggle it must have been for him. And like everybody, sometimes we know what a person's struggle is, but we don't really know. We don't really know all the ramifications of that struggle. 
and how much he gave me despite that emotional handicap. And it was a very difficult but deep meditation with a lot of rewards. Just like all of these pushback, all of these mental exercises, they're so hard. They fly in the face of instinct, at least for me. Mm. But it's so rewarding on so many levels, both in terms of our own emotional vibrance and, of course, how effective we could be in relating to other people and, when appropriate, helping them to grow. I want to ask you, first of all, thank you for sharing the example of your father. It's something I think that a lot of children experience. Any children who have had challenges in their life due to a challenge that their parent had, to be able to really recognize that the parent did the best they could. I'm wondering if you have been able to come to that place of being able to not just not judge, but actually to be inspired, because we're talking about this as this beautiful concept of not just to judge, but to be inspired. And I'm I'm wondering, and please be honest, and you could say, no, not holding there yet, or I don't know if it's possible in this situation. I'm wondering if that has been your experience or the meditation just led you to be able to fully accept the situation. It's a great question. Sometimes we can think we're holding somewhere, and then when we're triggered, then it all flies away. And I think this applies to anybody, to people that are difficult in our lives, that when we're not with them, we can really practice not judging and to the contrary, respecting them for the effort that they do or that I'm assuming that they do put in and the nachas that they're giving to Hashem. And then like when they do it again, you know, it's hard to hold that, to halt cup, you know, it's like hard to maintain that. But it's also insightful because when you feel that trigger again, you say, okay, I have more work to do. Hashem wants a deeper sense of compassion from me, a deeper sense of Mm. really respecting the person's humanity and the preciousness of their life journey and trying to put on Hashem's glasses, not just my glasses when I look at them. When we're upset at somebody, we kind of view that sliver of their persona as who they are. This is them, and I'm turned off by them. I'm aggravated by them. Sometimes if you just kind of zoom out, and sometimes I ask myself, if somebody would ask me about this person that I'm upset at, are they a good person? I would say, of course, they're a wonderful person. They do so much goodness in their life. So this one thing that's irritating me, which I'm not even sure if it's just me or them, or if I'm imagining, if they, this should color and taint my whole view. I need to zoom out a little bit and look at, and look at the picture and, and quit taking it personally. Again, these are all things that I tell myself a hundred times a day and I'm still working on it. So I guess that's the long answer to your question that I try to think about this all the time when it comes to my father. And I have tremendous respect for him, for the fight that he puts into his own struggles and how he works to keep himself inspired. And at the same time, there are plenty of times that I'm like, "Mm, that's irritating. Or that reminds me of something that happened in my childhood where I felt neglected or I felt not heard. and, and, And I'm going back to that place. Has it changed the way that you interact with your father? Has it changed the way that he interacts with you? this work that you've been doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Tanya says the compassion releases love that's been locked. And this is really all about compassion, about opening your heart to feeling another person's pulse, another person's heartbeat. And just like I don't want to be judged, I want another person to understand 
and to treasure the effort that I've put in my accomplishments despite the challenges. I want to be in tune with that when it comes to another person. So the love that's kind of trapped in a cage is able to be released. We say in the davening, Yaakov asher poda es Avraham. So the Alter Rebbe interprets that, maybe it was the Baal Shem Tov that originally said this, I don't know, but that Yaakov, compassion can release chesed, which is represented by Avraham, when it's locked, which is also another beautiful premise that we do have love and respect for another person, but we need to access it and be in touch with it. And compassion is the key to unlock it. Beautiful. Rachel, what advice would you give to anyone in that space, either with a parent or with sibling or someone really significant in their life or in a small situation, just like on a day-to-day basis? How would you recommend to begin to access that innate compassion that we have for others and to really be able to see the precious efforts that they're putting into their life? I think the first step is awareness. It's so easy to just have this thought stream and feel justified because we're not even aware that those type of negative and critical thoughts are are streaming through my mind. Just the awareness like, oh, I'm having this thought. It's not necessarily accurate. Can I challenge it? Am I 100% sure that that's the truth? And that itself can bring up a lot of pushback. And then the next thought was to brainstorm a little bit in your mind. What could be making the person act this way? And I find that it's usually so easy to come up with answers. It's just that we need to stop to think about the thought, the metacognition, and realize that this is something that I could work through. I could do more with my perception of this person. There's a more mature, sophisticated way of thinking that's going to be really better for me. Mm. And there's usually a lot that becomes apparent. And it's still hard, you know, that we still have that inner talk like, yes, but yeah, I get that this may be a struggle for her or for him, but okay, true. And you know what? There's places that I'm struggling and I could do better and I want to do better as well. Yeah, but they're not as severe. They're not as ugly. Not necessarily. Not necessarily in Hashem's eyes. Given my resources, not necessarily is that accurate. And sometimes the truth is we can find that we do the exact same thing that we're so critical of when it comes to other people. And that really like For sure. helps dissolve the gavura. When you find an example where you yourself did that, you're like, oh, okay, got it. Now I understand. And now I want to try and improve because I get how frustrating it, it, it can be to other people. Yeah. What strikes me in what you're sharing is that Paraglamid, chapter 30 of Tanya is talking about how we perceive others. And if we're holding on to that type of negative energy, it's not just about the other person. It's really going to bleed into our life. Like we were saying at the beginning, the interaction 
that's non-judgmental comes from an really internally seeing someone in a non-judgmental way, which means that your internal world is so much more beautiful because you see the world as a more beautiful place. You see people as more good inside and it just changes the world that you live in as well. So true. And I think we all know people that are really not judgmental. And I know my principal is a person that I look up to in that way. And a few other people that I can see, yes, they can notice flaws in people and in ideals right away. That's not the issue. They're right. not naive. Right. But the way they speak about people is with, with such respect and compassion and never with frustration and irritation. Even if I present to them something that I'm irritated by, they're not going to feed into that. And it's such a beautiful, safe perspective. And I think that that helps knowing that this is beneficial for me to be able to let go of that type of critical, superior, judgmental voice. Well, at the same time, I'm perfectly entitled to hold on to my parameter of truth, my high standard of morality, if that's what I have, my perception, my analysis. I could do both simultaneously. And it creates, like you said, a tenderness inside that becomes really apparent to other people as well. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tanya. If we can witness each other's flaws with respect and compassion, if we can approach one another from a place of shared humanity, not from our positions on self-constructed pedestals, but eye to eye, human to human, then we begin to see how all the people around us are actually trying their best. Both the difficult clerk at the grocery store and your struggling child. Both those furthest from you and those closest to you in your life. Can we cultivate our internal tenderness towards others? Can we see each other more softly at eye level? We all want to be a little more non-judgmental. But here's the secret. It's an inside job. It's not a way of acting towards people. It's a way of seeing them. In their efforts. In their humanity. Until we begin to see their struggles as points of strength. Until we begin to respect them for the very same things that we judged them for before. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha mechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber mechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at humanandholy or via email at humanandholy at gmail dot com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. 
Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.